Benjamin Franklin has been noted as saying, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. And if you ever notice, we're really experts at making excuses. We do this in all areas of our life. We leave socks on the floor or we don't put the dishes away from the counter, which is one that I've been known to do. I will actually rinse out the dishes and the glasses, whatever, and just put them on the counter. And I remember one time my wife saying, do you think they just magically get into the dishwasher? And she asked me, why do you do that? And being the kind of people that we are, I... Like, I'm trying to think for a reason, and I could come up with no good excuse. We have excuses where we uh, don't do our homework, we don't show up at the uh, meeting that we maybe had said we'd be on time to. We have excuses when we leave grocery carts in the parking lot next to our car rather than putting them away. I mean, there's all kinds of excuses that we have. Um, <clears throat> we can rationalize them, and they sometimes become habits. They actually start quite young. There's a teacher who has heard many of them and, and wrote some of them that this teacher had heard. One of them was, I caught a cold over the weekend and was sneezing all the time, so I didn't want to give you my paper because I didn't want you to get any of the germs. Well, you know... <laughs> very thoughtful student. Please hear them as well. I love this one. Sir, I'm so sorry, but the accident was caused by me waving to the man I hit last week. (laughs) Insurance companies publish them and they actually will tell you um, responses that are given on paper that people write down for the cause of the accident, such as, I don't know who was to blame for the accident. I wasn't looking when it occurred. (laughs) All of a sudden, the car was right in front of me. Or, coming home, I drove into the driveway of the wrong house, struck a tree I don't have. Or, I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. Uh, (laughs) We just have all kinds of excuses for getting out of work, getting out of a date, a dinner commitment. We give excuses to a doctor, we don't show up at small group meetings, fail to follow through on promises we make to our spouses, to our friends. At the office, we give excuses even to God who, like those ones I read, can see right through them. What if we learned to proactively make a commitment to stop making excuses, which would mean um, taking some responsibility and understanding very clearly the situation as we go through life and how we're to respond to these In Exodus chapter 3, verse 11 through chapter 4, 17 is where we're at today. We're in a series, and we've been in a series called Making a Way, this idea that God makes a way when there seems to be no way. So in one sense, if God makes a way when there seems to be no way, there should be no excuses. But Moses found all kinds of reasons to come up with excuses. Here he is walking through the desert at age 80, sees a bush that's burning. It won't be, it just isn't consumed. It never burns up. And it strikes his interest. And he moves towards it. God notices he moves towards it. And as he moves towards it, God speaks to him. And he says, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out. And I'm convinced I am concerned about their bondage and pain, so I've come down to rescue them. And I believe up to this point, Moses is going good. I'm glad you see that. Forty years ago, I tried to also free them, but I'm glad you're ready to finally move in and do something about it. And as he's doing that, he turns to Moses and he says to him, "Um, can I count on you to go and set them free? And at that point, Moses 
is no longer shaking its head in agreement. You ever had those kind of experiences? You've probably experienced that as well when someone is telling you about the fact that they're really excited and, and they are someone who wants to help with the illegal trafficking and you're shaking your head yes or, or they're talking to you about the need for clean water in a place like Africa or they're, they're giving you some enthusiasm and excitement about the fact that they're excited about this ministry or this thing that's happening for those who are homeless and they're, and, and then they turn to you and you're shaking your head, but I'm excited about that and they go, can I count on you for a gift? Or would you be willing to go maybe one Tuesday a month on an evening? And, and your head shaking is now going, well, um, well, Moses was there. And excuses began to pour forth from him. And he gave five different excuses in, in the span of 28 verses. As you read through Exodus chapter 3 verse and through chapter 4, you'll see that he gives you five excuses and God comes back with five answers. To each one of those excuses. So I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to read this first one together. We touched on this last week, but we're going to start on this one because it's excuse number one. But let's say, say it together. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Thank you. you. May be seated. Moses' response, this first excuse is seriously, God, I'm I'm a nobody. Who am I that I should go? I'm 80, I'm a failure, I has been, I tried this once, I've settled down in my life, I got a family. Who am I? What's interesting, God doesn't answer the question. God only says this, I'll be with you. That's his only response to it. As I said last week, the Lord never answers Moses' question. Moses wants to talk about Moses, but God wants to talk about God. You ever find yourself, you're talking all about yourself, and God's going, no, I I just, I want you to listen to me for a second, talk about who I am. Because Moses' who am I is answered by who he is. And so you, you get this interesting kind of interplay that's going on here. And, and, and Moses says, who am I? I'm a nobody. And God answers, not important. Because I'm somebody. All you need to know is that I will be with you. This somebody loves taking nobodies and using them to touch people's lives. Don't be overly concerned with who you are and your capability or ability God says, rather be aware of who he is and what he can do through you if you're open to him. And then he says, I'll even give you a sign. And it's an interesting sign. It's not a sign that's to build faith as he goes. It's a sign that when it is over, he will look back and go, wow, I can't believe this. I am so glad I went because look where I am at today. Some 14, 15 chapters later, you get into Exodus. Moses will be on a mountain. He'll have brought a whole people away from Egypt and Pharaoh and through a a sea and up to a place on a mountain. And Moses will be thinking the sign that God told him. That when you get there, you will know that I did it. 
Now, what's really interesting, if you don't give space for God to work in your life like that, and you say, I don't, I don't, I'm not adequate, I don't have the ability, I, I'm a nobody, and, and you don't allow for God to step in and show how he can do something, you won't ever get to the place where you'll be at the mountain where you'll turn and look back and go, wow, I know I couldn't have done what was just done there. As I was preparing this, I was thinking about um, every time, you know how you have Instagram or Facebook? On Instagram, uh, uh, there's a, an, a person in our church, Terry Esau, and Terry and Mary, you may know, sometimes they're down at this big six and they're welcoming people. And every time I look at Instagram and I see one of his pictures, and they have a picture of a kid who's smiling with a bike. Every time I see that picture, I'm reminded of the fact that one day, about eight or so years ago, Terry had a thought when he was biking with his buddies. He's, he just thought, what if I got some of my Saturday morning biking buddies together and we collected used bikes that sat in people's garages or those bikes that sat in garages which would eventually be thrown away. What if we just collected them and repaired them, cleaned them, and, and then gave them back out? <clears throat> and so they did that. In someone's garage, they collected 100 bikes about 100, 200 bikes, and they gave them out, a little giving out party at one point. That was eight years ago. Today they've given out over 70,000 bikes with active programs in 10 cities, including London next year. Because one guy had a thought, because God probably put a thought in his head, and he decided to say, okay, God, I, I'm not thinking about 70,000, but <clears throat> can I just do what I have right here in this step? this next one, and then take the next step and take the next step, and someday I'll get to that place and I'll look back and go, I could have never, I could have never done that if I didn't just take that first step. Terry told me, giving free bikes to kids and families is in need is his way of fulfilling Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself. We're just loving them with bikes. And then he, when I asked him about this, he just said, you know, would you tell people we need thousands of volunteers this year? So go to the website and sign up. <laughs> little commercial for Terry. <clears throat> you may be a nobody, feel terribly underqualified for the assignment, for the nudge of God in the next step that he's asking you to take. But I want you to know, God wants to talk about himself. He's a somebody who is way overqualified for the job he just gave you, and he will help you if you're just willing to put the excuse aside take the next step. goes on in verse 13. So Moses is thinking, okay, God's got a reason. He's he's already kind of done away with that excuse. So Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, real simple answer. I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And in this excuse, it's, it's Moses but saying, I don't know you that well, God. We don't know what his life was like. For 40 years, he was raised in, in the courts of Pharaoh. He had influence, obviously, from his mother because he was raised probably for the, in weaning, probably two, three years is how long they would wean a child. So they had influence. It could have been for even longer than that. Yet parents had influence, but he was still in the courts. And for 40 years, he, he finally sees the injustice and he acts out. He kills an Egyptian. His 
name is in, in pictures put on a wanted list. He runs from Egypt, goes all the way out into the desert as far away as you can run from the control and the power and the realm of Egypt. <clears throat> He's way out there on his own, spends another 40 years. We have no idea what kind of relationship he really has with God until one day, I'm sure he's been processing throughout his life, giving up on himself a failure, and he's walking along, sees a bush, it's burning, and he has an, an, a, a revelation, an experience, an encounter with God. Now this verse is interesting, because I am who I am is, the, is, is a name that the Jews would not even pronounce anymore, or wouldn't even say, because it was so holy, so we don't even know fully what these four letters, Y-H-W-H, what the word is. People have guessed and put their own vowels like Jehovah or Yahweh, and they've given all kinds of different names to it. We don't know what exactly the name is, but what we do know is that what God is saying to him, and and even though there's pages and pages and pages, there's books and books written on this name from a philosophical standpoint that he's the God of existence and all these other things, but I think God was saying something pretty simple that we make really difficult. And that is, I just want you to go out of the presence of your encounter with me. You don't have to know me real well. You don't have to know me for a long period of time. You don't have to have a certain education, a certain kind of degree. You don't have to have a certain kind of preparation training, which Moses didn't realize. All of his life has been his preparation. All of your life is preparation for the thing that God wants you to do next. And he just says, I want you to go with an understanding that I am who I am, and I'm with you. I'm not the God of who was, but you can go and tell them, because if you go on in these verses, you'll see in verse 15, he says, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation I am the God who was not just was back then. I am the God who is here with you right now in this encounter, in this experience. All you need to know is my nudge and my presence. And in that is all that you have. So that you can respond. Not out of all kinds of experience and all kinds of depths of understanding and all kinds of education and all these other things. You don't need all that. You just need my presence with you now. And God is telling them, the God who was is here now today at this very moment. I am with you. That's all you got to tell them. And then he goes into this um, interesting, uh, what, what the writers, the commentators say, excursus. He, he has an excuse. He gives another excuse. And now God takes just a break to say, I'm going to tell you a little bit of what's going to happen. And, and the reason I say you don't need to make this I am who I am answer of God really that difficult is because he almost answers it right in the next few verses. He says, go assemble the elders of the Israel and say to them. So here's the, here's the game plan, Moses. <clears throat> the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me. That's it. That's I am who I am. I've had this revelation. I've had this experience. I've been in the presence of God. And this is what God is saying and calling me to do. And said... I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. This is what Moses is saying to the people, to the elders. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and any other right that's in the land. Um, that was a little thing that's in one of the 
manuscripts know of. Um, a land flowing with milk and honey, which is just basically a really good place. I'm going to take you to a good place. And the elders of Israel will listen to you. And then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go. Now he's giving him some instruction here, unless a mighty hand compels him. He tells him right away, it's not going to be easy. And then he goes on and he says, so I will stretch out my hand. It will take actually God's intervention in this situation. No human power will be able to do this. And strike the Egyptians with all the wonders. God will require, and it will require to do this, signs and wonders. And so often when God is at work in people's lives and it takes an intervention for God to do it, he will be placing around them things for them to go and they'll wonder about that which causes them to look up because there's signs pointing to him. You just have to trust it. And I will perform them among them and after that he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. This is an interesting idiom used by Moses only a couple times. One other time since he's a writer, the writer of Genesis, it's used also the same idiom when Joseph is thrown into prison and the chief um, jailer shows him favor, kind of turns his heart towards him. He says, you, you can trust in me to be working to turn that heart of that people towards you. And then he says... And after that, he will, he says, after he lets you go, he'll be favorably disposed, so people will be. And then he says, so when you leave, you will not go empty-handed, which is a very important phrase. It, 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 I just need to make this comment. They were aliens, they were immigrants, uh, they were in a land where they were called Hebrew, which is a very negative term. It was a derisive term, like a gypsy or, or anyone, like, like we do with immigrant names. And then he, and he says, you will not go empty-handed. And then later in in Deuteronomy, when he's giving out the law, and in Leviticus, he talks about when a person who is an alien among you or someone who is working for you in that, in that way, when they leave and they are given freedom or they set free, you're not to let them go empty-handed. You're to, you're to bless them. You're to bless them. And so he basically says, that's what I want you to do. God will repay, in a sense, what is stolen is what he's saying. What the Israelites were being given was the wages they should have received for the work they had forcibly done for Egypt. In a sense, God says, I will always repay when you've been cheated in that sense. I will make sure that you don't go empty-handed. So that, as he's listening to this, I think Moses is kind of drifting a little bit, like you are right now, okay? And Moses' mind is elsewhere, and all of a sudden, his mind, where it has been, is he's thinking through... The first excuse didn't make it. You know what? I'm a nobody. The second one, I don't really know you that well. And I'm not sure the people are going to really go for it. In his mind, he's come up with his third excuse. You know what his third excuse is? I'm just not credible. Come on, God. Listen to what he says. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? That's why I say the appearance, the presence of God, the I am who I am is so important to the next thing. Now he goes, what if I come to him and I say he's appeared to me? The same God that was the God of your, you know, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who, who had a revelation and God did great things through them. He's come to me and, and, they, and then they go, who are you? We don't believe you. 
And Moses dialing, can you remember, God, I, I tried this 40 years ago. They didn't follow me then. Why are they going to follow me now? And, and God goes, oh, man, I didn't think about that, Moses. Good point. <laughs> and I think sometimes God's saying this, oh, wow, that's a great reason why you can't love your neighbor or, 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 or do what I'm, I'm kind of asking you to do next, um, whatever it might be. And God's ready for every excuse. And he says, you don't need to be worried at all about being credible. I will make you credible. That's my job. That's my job. So verses 2 through 10 in chapter 4 of Exodus. Then the Lord said to him, what is your, what's in your hand? A staff, he replied. I love it. It's, it's, it's what's, he'll make you credible with what you have, with what you're holding in a sense, what's in your life. He says, throw it to the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground, it became a snake, and he ran from it. You get this idea, Moses is holding a staff. Snakes are scary things. The, often in, in that culture, in that area, they were poisonous. And so you can get the idea, he's going, whoa! He runs kind of away, and, and God says, hey, hey, Moses, stop! And the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. That you are going out of a fresh experience of my call and my presence. Then the Lord said, because God is so good, put your hand inside your cloak. So he puts his hand inside his cloak, so he put his hand in his cloak, and then when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Well, that's a scary thing in that culture. Snakes... And venomous things were not really, you know, they could be hiding in your little home or wherever you're working. Leprosy, any kind of skin disease was something that you ended up having to be ostracized and put out for. So he's doing this second thing. Now put your hand back into your cloak. So Moses does. And, that's, and he said, so Moses put his hand back into his cloak. And then when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Moses going, wow, these are really cool. And then the Lord says one more. If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign and they don't see that it points to me, they may believe the second that it points to me. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it onto the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. And you have to understand in that day, just like in ours, why were cities put next to rivers? Because from the river comes life. And from that river, when it floods over, so also plants and, and all kinds of things grow. And you can draw canals that cause the flooding to move out. And that's what happened in Egypt. It was the source of their life. And if you contaminated the water in any way, so also your life was cut off. I'll give you these signs. And God gives them these three signs each involving something they deeply feared, each showing that God was greater than what they feared. And the lie and the excuse is often our fear that we're just not going to be credible. And God says, you know what? It's my job. I will make you credible. I have placed things right in your hand that, can, that you'll be amazed at when the time comes And so will the person or the situation or the thing that you're moving into. It's not about your credibility, but it's about God's credibility. So then Moses is still thinking. And excuse number four comes to his head. Um, 
Well, God, I, I know part of what you were telling me, I heard that yeah, I'm supposed to go talk to these people and then talk to Pharaoh. And here's the, here's the reason I can't do it. Excuse number four. I'm just not cut out for this. And that resonates with so many of us, right? When God asks you to do something, you're kind of going, oh, that's a really cool thing, God, I really like it. And then he says, I want you to do it. And then you go, wait a second. That's way out of my comfort zone. I mean, that's not even in my gift mix. I think I'll pass. Somebody else probably should do this. I'm just not cut out to do this. Verse 10 of chapter 4, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent and, and neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant, and I'm, I'm really slow of, of speech and tongue. So there's two things that are going on. He says, really, I'm not a good talker. The word eloquent is very, it was in some famous ancient Near East documents during the Middle Kingdom of, of Egypt. Um, this word has been used so they know what the word means. It conveys the idea of having the ability through words to influence and persuade with such powers to bring about social justice and positive decisions. That's how it was used. And Moses is basically saying, listen, God, I'm no Martin Luther King Jr. I could never give the I have a dream speech. And the other thing, I'm slow of speech. Now, a lot of people have thought this is some kind of speech impediment that that Moses stuttered. I worked on that, so he's giving me a little credit. But it's not a speech impediment at all. What Moses is basically saying in these words, the technical words around this mean I'm not quick with my responses. I'm really not that good at debate. I'm not quick on my feet. Don't have that kind of wit to be able to respond. So not only can't I give the Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream speech, I'm also not really good when it comes to legal kind of quick responses to build my case. I can't do this. I'm just not cut out for it. And I like God's answer again. What's really interesting about God is when he's calling you to do something, right now, as I'm speaking, as I was praying about I know there's a few people that God has been calling you to do something and and the excuses are there. But what's really amazing is you're here this morning because God is so persistent. He just keeps knocking. He just keeps knocking at the heart. He loves you so much because he doesn't want you to miss the mountaintop when you're back there. And you can look back and go, I'm so glad I did this because what God did through me. It wasn't me. It was God. And so he answers, the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouth? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? It's not, is it not I, the Lord? Now go. He, he says this number of times. Now go. After the excuse. Now go. I'll help you speak and will teach you what to say. And, and the words help you speak could literally translate, if you want to, directly from the Hebrew. It can actually mean, I will be your mouth. In a sense, you don't need to worry, Moses, because the God who created your mouth and your eyes and your ears can also create the very words you need to hear at the right moment and actually place them in your heart and mind and with your mouth speak them out. Your dependence on me is what I'm looking for. I don't really, in fact, if I had someone who's really eloquent and who is really fast in their wit and speech, they probably might get in the way. Because I want to use someone who is a nobody so they can truly see the somebody through your dependency. Have you ever asked yourself, 
what really lies underneath your excuses. There, there really are just a few things. Sometimes it's failure. You kind of think like Moses, that I've tried, I've failed, and I'm afraid to do it again. And let me just share with you, failure will always be a part of our lives. It's one of the ways God teaches us to grow. It's not an excuse. Moses learned from his failure. It taught him humility and dependence. In fact, your failures can be your best lessons. You know sometimes when you win and you're really victorious, you don't necessarily learn as much. But when you fail, it forces you to have to look at things. And our past failure, if we learn from it, is one of the qualifications that God is looking for. I love what Erwin McManus says. He says, love never comes without wounds, and faith never comes without failure. It may be uncertainty. Really, uncertainty, whether it's the future or whatever, is, is, is all about our control. It's kind of like, God, if I knew what the outcome was, if I could just see it clearly, I had that in not just a vague form, but I really saw it, then I'd do it. But that's the whole point of faith. It's learning to trust someone greater who knows the future and knows the outcome. It could be mistakes. You know, you're just afraid to take, make a mistake. So often, one of the reasons people don't do new things is because they're afraid if they do and they make a mistake, it's just kind of going to be devastating. But I have to tell you, God doesn't expect perfection. Did you know that? He doesn't expect perfection. He just wants permission. And he will never step beyond your permission. He'll just wait for you and he'll go through all the excuses like he's doing with Moses. But he knows you're going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. It could be comparison. That's one that I struggle with. I think that's one that a lot of people struggle with. That's what Moses struggled with. God, really, me? I mean, just look around. There's 50 more people that are more qualified, are greater, gifted, and have more talent than me. So, uh, you know what? If I just, if you, come on, open your eyes, look around. You, you, don't, you don't mean me. And did you know what? When God is kind of, kind of just tapping you on the heart out of love, saying, I want you to experience my power and my presence. I want you to touch people's lives and to be a part of how incredibly cool that is. Do you know that when he's doing that, he knows there's a whole lot of other people who could do what you could do. In fact, probably in, in their own flesh better. But guess what? He's calling you. He knows that and he's still calling you. Because he wants you to do it. He wants you to experience his joy. I was um, thinking about this. My wife had shared with me um, part of some of the things we do is, you know, God's not always asking you to do these big things, supernatural big things. He just sometimes comes and he, he kind of puts you in positions where it's just a very little natural thing that, that he does. My wife was sharing with me that um, she went into a Starbucks. She doesn't go to Starbucks. Someone who she works with, had asked her to go to the Starbucks to pick up something for her. So she went to the Starbucks. She's in the line, and she's waiting. And then she has, in not going to Starbucks, so it's kind of like in a weird, different kind of place. And before her is a woman, and here is a woman. And she has this impression, and the impression in her heart is that she's just to say, you look amazing. And, 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 and so without much thought, she just said that to the woman in front of her. You look amazing. And the woman began to break down in tears. 
and said to her, I just have come from my last chemo treatment. She, she didn't say, I'm going to fail, I can make a mistake, I need to compare myself, or any of those kind of things. Just kind of like, okay, God, if that's what you, I, this is weird, I don't know, but I'm going to say it. And she gets to experience the joy of someone else being touched by God. And then the underlying all of them is fear. At really, at the base of it, um, I've done work in studying this whole thing called Enneagrams. And, and one of the things when I went and heard some guy speak one time was talking about sixes. Who He says, you know, a lot of people have post-traumatic stress. Well, sixes have pre-traumatic stress, which I think we all have, right? I'm afraid. I'm not qualified. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm... Yeah, it's urge to compare, and underneath it is all this statement, I really don't believe you, God, love me enough to do what you've said, that you will do what you need to do. And the reality is not just about his love for you, it's about his love for the people that he is seeking to touch through you. And that's exactly what happens at this point for Moses. He runs out of excuses, he gets down to the real issue, and excuse number five is, I'm scared, and I don't want to do it. Bottom line. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. There's a book called, Here Am I, Send Aaron. (laughs) Moses' response is, sir, with all due respect, what I've been trying to say is that you must know someone who is available, better suited than me. I don't want to do this. And then it says in verse 14, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will put... I'll help both of you speak and will teach you what you to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth, as if you were God to him. And what I find is interesting is we read this idea that God's ticked, his anger burns. But if you, in the Hebrew, really, the way you could, you could translate this is although God's anger burned against Moses. He was not happy with Moses at the moment, but God still was gracious. He still loves us. He still wanted to get this thing done. He said, you know what? I hear this. I see all this. I'll bring someone with you. I have a job that I want to get done and I want to use you. And then verse 17, you, you kind of go, why does he say this? But take the staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. Like, don't forget the staff. When, when we go through this book, you'll find the staff is really about the presence and power of God. That's what the staff is. What he's basically saying is, Moses, you've done this before in your flesh. Don't do it this way this time. You now have had an encounter with me. And in that encounter, I will make you credible. I will give you the signs. Just take the staff. It's in the power and presence of God that things will move. So don't leave the staff. A few weeks ago, at a generous giver's banquet, I was at, I heard a lady named Gail Berger, who is running this thing called the Blessing House in Victoria, Minnesota. And she has this amazing story of how God called her to start to give her home basically as a place of blessing so people would come and they will stay there and and they're down and out i mean just all kinds of people from inner minneapolis from around now from around the country some people are coming and she just said all the time i you know i had never throughout my life my husband who had died just sooner not too long a few years before that um, had made money and done this. She just felt like she didn't have the gifts. She kept making excuses. And then she said, I, I found out, and I love these words because I was listening. I had to write them down. 
she said, what hit me was this. When Jesus calls you, yeah, she's got all these excuses and she's not smart enough and all this. She's, when Jesus calls you, he factors in your stupidity. <laughs> he factors in your inadequacy, your insignificance, your lack of preparation, your lack of education, your lack of how long you've known God, whatever it may be, he factors that in that he's calling you. Whether he's calling you to a big or to a small step. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to close with a a song of joy and freedom. But before we do, I want you to stand because I want want you to hear what I would call four tips. Remember I said in the beginning, what if we proactively made a commitment to stop making excuses? I want to give you these four tips. Because these, if you will choose to do this when you hear the excuse in your head, I believe they can counteract the excuse. And first, put your focus on God's ability, not yours. The only way you experience God's ability is by doing it. Not by thinking about it, not by praying more about it, it's by actually doing it. And then trust God who knows the future. If he's calling you, he knows the future and he knows the outcome. And the reality is he also tells us a little bit about that. Um, there's a, 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 a play that I used to really enjoy, and I still listen to the music, is uh, Joseph and the Amazing Dream Color, you know, the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Anybody know that one? At one point, the narrator is saying, don't give up, Joseph. Joseph, fight till you drop. We've read the book, and you come out on top. <laughs> We've read the book, folks. I don't care, even if there's a slight failure in it, you will come out on top. Because God's in it. And know that God's called you. You just resist the urge to compare and recognize that God will bring around you people or whatever needs to be to do what needs to be done, but he's called you. And then just take action and go. And and don't be thinking about, you know, what he didn't want him is thinking about Pharaoh and getting free from Egypt. He just wanted him to think about going to the elders and getting their approval. Just take whatever the next step is. So as we sing this in freedom, I want you to sing with freedom. I want you to be thinking, what is that next step? And will you say, go, I will go. When God says, will you do it? Will you do it? He's not asking for perfection. He just wants your permission.